0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church sermon of the week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Open up your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 22. The very last page in your Bible, right before the weights and measurements or maps or something so which is not inspired per se, but it's there. Revelation 22 is inspired and we're going to look at it this morning. As we really kick off the Christmas season, we kick off this season of reflecting, recollecting, and recalling the coming of our Savior. There then is this, as we take time to do that, there is then this prayer that begins to rise up out of the people of God, which is, you've come once, Lord, come again. Will you return again? Come, Lord Jesus, come so to kick off this Christmas season, I felt like it'd be fitting for us to to lean into into the, the context of the Lord's larger redemptive story. The Lord is writing a story larger than my life, larger than your life, and larger than the Christmas story. It's a story that he's been writing from age to age over humanity, a story of making things new, of redeeming and reconciling things to himself. And so, throughout the book of Revelation, we see glimpses, visions of what is to come. The Lord's higher purposes for heaven and earth. And most of it is daunting and overwhelming as you work your way through the book of (laughs) Revelation. Things flying across the floor. down. Um, It can be overwhelming, it can be daunting. Because we're getting glimpses of things that are beyond... Uh, what we could probably ever comprehend, I believe the Spirit will give us insight in due season, as we as we need to understand, He'll give us understanding. Um, and so John has written this this book, this letter, uh, as the last as the the last living apostle of Jesus uh, on the Isle of Patmos. He has these encounters with with Jesus, and he sees a glimpse from a larger perspective. You know, I feel like most most of the time we live our lives with tunnel vision. Well, John is graced and um, I don't know if it's a gift, but he he was given this uh, glimpse of the larger picture, the larger narrative that the Lord is writing over humanity of redeeming a people to himself. And then here in verse, we're gonna read in verse 17, this is what John says. This is how he like tries to... um, Bring it all into context to bring it all into tie a bow on it somehow. Because he knew everyone would be like deers in a headlight after reading through the book. He says this: the spirit and the bride say, Come. So the spirit of God in the church of God, we live in the the age of the church. That's the age, the, the dispensation, the time in which we live, the chapter in God's story, it's called the age of the church, that's when we live. And the, the, the biggest blessing of living at this moment in human history is that the spirit of God is at work in our midst, amen? amen? Jesus said it was better that he leave and send the spirit, that his father send the spirit to live in our midst. So we become people that host his very presence, the person of the Holy Spirit, It is an amazing age in which to live. And so the spirit of God moving in our midst and amongst a people, this prayer will rise out of us, which is come. The spirit at work in the bride. We are the bride. Jesus uses that analogy. Paul uses that analogy to describe the church as the bride of Christ, our soon coming king a second time as as a picture of this bridegroom. And so if the spirit is at work amongst his people, the banner over the church age will be this prayer that arises, that erupts from our midst, which says, come. And let the one who hears say, come. So there's a second cry, there's a second prayer. And it's much the same, it's come. And it's coming from this person, it's erupting out of this person who has ears to hear what the spirit is saying. That's a very familiar phrase. I actually preached about it back in September. This phrase that Jesus uses before he tells many of his parables is actually the phrase that he also uses, Jesus uses at the beginning of the book of Revelation as he's writing to the churches. He says, To the one who has ears to hear, let him hear, which describes the heart posture of people who are leaning in to hear what the Lord is saying, who have humble hearts, who have not arrived who are not uh, super impressed, but, uh, you know, impressed in themselves, but have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in this age. So that there's like an individual glimpse of the prayer that's erupting in individual hearts as they peer into God's Word, as they appear at the, the grander narrative, the grander redemptive story. This prayer erupts from them that says, come, Lord Jesus, come. So the prayer from the church is come, the prayer from the individual attuned to the things the Lord is saying, come, and third is this, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There's a third cry which erupts to a hurting and dying world with a sense of urgency that says, come. Come and drink of this living water without price. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. So there are these three cries of our age, the three cries of the church age. Everyone likes three points in a sermon, so here they are. The the three cries of our age, all three are the same, it's come. The cry from the spirit at works amongst the bride has come. The the cry from the the spirit at work in the individual is come, Lord Jesus, come. And the cry from us that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, to a a world desperately in need, is come. Come and drink of the living water. Then he goes on to say, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And you can just go back and read them if you want to carry a little bit more of the fear of the Lord in you. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And so he is directly referring to the revelation that he had just written about, that there is this sacred, inspired authority to it that is not to be tampered with. So it is a solemn warning that John uh, stamps this with. They don't tamper with this, don't mess with it. And I believe that on a, on a broader scale does apply to all of scripture. But John most directly is, is talking about what he had just written. And then he says this in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. So this prayer is erupting in three forms, amongst the church, amongst individuals, and it's ringing out into a world that desperately needs to hear it. And it's not falling on deaf ears. Some of your Bibles may have these words in red. Surely I am coming soon. These are the words of Jesus himself saying, I'm hearing this prayer ringing out. I'm hearing the prayer of this church age. And that word surely in the the Greek, like the word literally means yes. Yes, I am coming soon. Yes, I hear you. Yes, I hear your prayer. And John says, "Amen. Let it be. Come, Lord Jesus." Verse twenty-one. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And he ends with that prayer of grace upon us. May you have that grace to be sustained, to um, to be steadfast, to be found faithful till the end. May you have grace. Amen. Whoa. So that's that's a lot. There, there's a lot in there, and it's 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 heavy. We're talking about the Lord's larger uh, plan for history. And, um, and my heart is that in our midst and in our day in 2021, that we would have a brewing expectation for our coming king. There is a, um, there's a real gift to being able to recognize the times and the seasons in which we live. And it's a real travesty when we miss it, when we live oblivious to what the Lord is doing. I'm not saying that we're always gonna understand all the nitty-gritty detail. In fact, many times we won't. But here we're given, on a very broad scale, a glimpse of the, the brewing, urgent cry from the church which is to have these eyes expectant, looking towards the horizon, figuratively, not literally. Figuratively looking towards the horizon, saying, come, Lord Jesus. Like we look around the earth, we see things in disarray. We see chaos and confusion, and this prayer erupts in our hearts that says, come, Lord Jesus. We look into scripture, and we see promises unfulfilled, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, Messiah, would you come and do what you say you you were gonna do? Would you come and fulfill your word? Would you come and fulfill these promises? Jesus came once, and that's what the Christmas season is it's all about. It's about stopping and reflecting and recalling um, that season when God stepped on to the planet. And the first time around, there were some that were expectant for his coming. And there were many that were not. For many, there was this um, kind of brewing anticipation as they looked into Scripture and they said, "Wow, the Messiah is going to come." But it seemed like so long in coming. It was so delayed. It's like, would He ever really come? You know, from the time of Malachi to the the, the writing of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to Matthew, there's you know around four hundred years of silence was the Lord truly silent? Silent? No. The Lord is working on the earth. The Lord was moving. But sometimes it was hard to catch. Sometimes it didn't seem like the Lord was doing much. And sometimes in our lives and our comings and our goings, it, it seems like, what is the Lord doing? Like, what, what, are, we, what are we doing? Are these promises just going to go s- sitting unfulfilled forever? There seems to sometimes be this delay. And so, That's where we lean in to the spirit of God in this age, in him working in our midst. And as we do that, from our spirit erupts this prayer. It says, come, Lord Jesus. I know you are good to your word. You know, I think one helpful way for us to think about our lives and why it's so difficult to anticipate like the larger things that the Lord is doing. I think one helpful way to think about it is like an illustration of like being on a road trip or being on a, uh, specifically like a train ride. Like you're on a train ride, you are held captive to the car in which you're riding. There is a, there's a larger journey taking place, there's lots of things taking place outside of the train or outside of the train cars. There's, there's an itinerary being set and delayed because of all sorts of circumstances. And sometimes it's helpful to be able to, by the grace of God, step back and observe on a larger level what the Lord is doing. It can actually be sometimes frustrating riding on a train. I don't know if you've ever taken a train ride. They're not as common here in the States as they are in other parts of the world. But me and my wife had the crazy idea of taking a train ride from Fargo, North Dakota, actually from Seattle, Washington, to Fargo, North Dakota once. It was a stupid idea. Don't ever do it. Um... (laughs) It was supposed to be a 20-hour train ride and it ended up up taking 36 hours. Um, And so that's just normal. If you're gonna take a train, you cannot be in a hurry. You are there to look out the picture windows and just enjoy the ride. We had a one-year-old baby with us and uh, it just seemed like we were always stopped. It's like, why are we stopped again? Like, weren't we just stopped? They just announced a stop and now we're stopped again. It was like after a couple hours of one stop, there at the the dining car, we would hear the story of what happened. Like, oh, we were, you know, they were um, prioritizing a freight train or, oh, there was a crash on the tracks and like all these stories started coming out of, you know, they have to clear snow off the train track. And I mean, you'd hear it like hours delayed, why there was such a delay and we'd be sitting there for hours. I believe there's gonna be a similar like uh, revelation in the future age, where we'll look back and be like, oh, okay, that's what was taking place. That's why there was this seeming delay. It seemed like things were just taking forever. Like, why is this not happening? Like, why, Lord, your word says this, and it seems like there's such a, a drastic lag. What is going on? I believe we'll have greater clarity, greater revelation on the other side of eternity in the age to come but it's not the age in which we live. And therefore, we need to cling to what has been revealed to us, and that is the promise of his coming. May us, may we not be found, you know, lax and apathetic. Let's just take a look at the, uh, the first time Jesus came. Luke chapter one. The angel appears to Mary and says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, Take to, take to heart that this is, after 400 years of, um, quote-unquote, silence, it seems like the Lord is not doing anything. It seems like maybe the Lord forgot about that promise he threw out there about this, this coming servant, this Messiah, this Christ, and then an angel appears to this peasant girl, virgin Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And would will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. The angel starts recalling these promises, these prophetic promises of this one who would come from the line of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then an angel appears to um, some shepherds, some humble shepherds in a field. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Recalling this, this promise after seeming silence, and then all of a sudden the silence was broken with the anticipation of both heaven and earth. And so there is this sense amongst the Christmas season that should stoke in our hearts anticipation. Not just when they turn the, the Christmas music on at Walmart, but when we open up our, our, the word, and we peer into the reality that he came once, and it seemed like he came in the night, like he came after what looked like a long delay, looked like silence, and then he came, he broke in. He did it once, and the prayer in our heart is Lord, we know that you're gonna do it again, so would you come? The anticipation should be palpable in our midst. At Christmas season, anticipation is palpable in our home as, as our kids you start counting down the days. Literally, we have a number, a number of countdowns in our home going on right now. We have three birthdays in, our, in, in the month of December, a wedding anniversary, and Christmas. And so we have countdowns galore in our house. Um, the anticipation is real. And in the household of God, it should be very similar. There should be this like, palpable anticipation for what the Lord has done. Because of what he has done, there should be this anticipation for what he is going to do. And the light, of the light of the world will burst onto the scene once again. So not all recognized him for who he was. Not all were anticipating his arrival. Some missed it. Some just saw the foolishness of a baby. Some just saw, couldn't get over the small and significant village of Nazareth. Some, Some only saw the son of a carpenter. And then there was the greatest stumbling block of them all, which I spoke about last week, the foolishness of the cross. Some only saw a man who was cursed because he was hanging on a tree. Even though he said all of this would happen, and the same is true, he's told us what's coming. So it's not, the Christian faith is not all just history. It's, it's history towards something. And so there is this sense and this recalibration that needs to take place in the church that we realize that his call for the church is upward and onward. It's not just backwards looking. There is a backwards looking posture of gratitude and recollection so we don't repeat the same mistakes. But it's always meant to then turn us towards his higher purposes for the future. The Lord's call for us is upward and onward. So then after his arrival the first time and the accomplishing of his work that he said he would do, he sent his spirit. And that's the age in which we live. This age in which, in which the comforter, the counselor, the, the word, the Parakletos, the that word, the word parakletos in Greek like literally means to come alongside and support. So that's the role of the Spirit in the age in which we live. It's this age when Jesus said it would be better for him to leave and send the Spirit of God, to send this comforter and counselor. But that's not to mean that, the, that this current age is better than the future age. No, it's upward and onward. This age is better than the last age. The age to come will be better than this age. Because not only will we have the Spirit living in us and amongst us, but we'll have Christ glorified, ruling and reigning, physically on the earth. And then establishing a new heaven and a new earth. Like, mind's blown, right? Boom. It's upward and onward. So Jesus' words were true when he said it before our good. He'd send the helper, this Holy Spirit. This age is better. It's better than having... Jesus before the cross in our midst. But the age to come, and the age when King Jesus reigns on the earth, we reign with him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will be even better. So there should be this anticipation growing in our hearts. The cry from our heart is come for us. The, the cry from the bride of Christ is King Jesus, come back for us. Carry out your plan of redemption. Like we know the story is not over. Like there's always this, we wake up most days with it, this nagging sense that things are just not right. Like things are just not as they ought to be. And, and, and all the more when we look, when we peer into God's word, we're like, things are just not the way they should be. That's this eternal sense within us. Especially within the people of God. There's a there's a larger groaning happening just within with you know across the earth. The longing for this expression of the sons of God to be revealed. But within the church, it's like 2.0, a groaning 2.0, longing for the revealing of the king. So John leans into that analogy of us being called the bride. So men, we just got to gotta own that, that identity as well. We, we are, are part of the bride. So you need to lean into that f- feminine side of you, I guess, or something. We, we are part of the bride. And uh, there is a bug up here. There we go. <laughs> flicked it towards my wife. That's like, I'm so thoughtless. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, beautiful. Um, but Jesus likens himself to the bridegroom we are the bride. That's a, a picture of uh, the relationship and the ultimate consummation and reconciliation of all things is the Lord bringing unto himself a people because that's, that's where he's bringing it all, to dwell amongst the people, fully devoted one to another. And so the picture of marriage is that. That's why marriage is so precious and sacred to us. Um, and so within that identity of being the bride, it's like the Lord put a ring on our finger and then he went away to prepare a place for us. He came to the kiss of his presence and the person, uh, the man, the, the God man, Jesus Christ, paid the price to be able to put a ring on our finger to enter into this like engagement season, which is the, the, the season of the, the age of the church. And then he went away to prepare a place for us. So think of the season of engagement, like engagement is, is better than dating because you know you're heading towards something, but it's, it's not all that awesome. <laughs> I mean, engagement always is like, I can't wait till this is over. Like, it's like pretending to be married, but you're not married. You don't have any of the benefits. You're just like, you know, you're just kind of longing for that day, that big day. That's what that, that season is like. I actually spent a number of months away from my wife when we were engaged. I, I proposed to her in April 2007, 2007 and, and then I, I left in May uh, to go to Rwanda, Africa. And so there was this like, real sense of, I can't wait until this is over. We spent you know, three and a half months apart, um, and there was this longing for us to be together again. And that is the season in which we are in. It's the season of anticipation and waiting. So what is the posture of his bride in this day? What should the posture of his bride be in this day? Should it be apathy? Should it be boredom? Should it be this sense of just sheer survival or escapism? Should it be passivity? I believe if we lean into that identity fully, there is this overwhelming sense of sheer expectation, love, adoration, anticipation of our great and mighty King. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. There is this parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 25, which I'll just quickly quickly read. It's a parable where he uses that that same analogy of himself and likening himself to a bridegroom. His higher purpose is for a bride. But he does use the picture of like a wedding party to describe two different camps of people. So he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. So there's this wedding party. And they're anticipating the arrival of the bridegroom. That's their role is to like usher in the bridegroom as he comes back for his bride. But amongst them, there's two camps. There's the foolish and the wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. I think you should underline that. The bridegroom was delayed. Jesus is giving us a clue that it will seem to be like he is delaying. Like it will, it will seem to be like there is this unnecessarily long leg between the promise of his coming and his actual coming. In, in the book of uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter addresses that. He says, it can seem like the Lord is slow in keeping his promises, but he, but he, he is not slow, he's not slow in keeping his promises. Instead, he is wanting all to come to repentance. He's long-suffering. Like there's a higher purpose. That's kind of the, the analogy of being on the train car. It seems like the delay is taking too long, but you zoom out and you see the bigger picture. The Lord is delaying for a purpose that more would turn to him. So verse six, but at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the doors were shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I don't believe this is meant to incite a bunch of fear or like like immature panic as to the like assurance of your salvation. It's a clear warning that you can't rely on the, the oil and the um, preparations of others. For yourself, the, the, the key characteristic of the foolish versus the wise was the foolish took for granted that oil that kept, them bur- kept their, their lamp b- uh, burning. So wisdom from kingdom's perspective, will, to have o- will be to have oil in these days, for us to have this love, this anticipation for his retur- return. Oil is the, the fuel for the flame that keeps our hearts burning until he returns. How quickly do we move on from the greatest commandment? Jesus tells us what the greatest commandment is—like the summary of all the complexities of the old covenant—is to love Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love the Lord your God with all that you are. And we're like, okay, yeah, I got that. Let's move on to the other cool things. Let's let's figure out what the the Antichrist or the Antichrist is and what the mark of the beast is. That's way way cooler. Um, I don't want to sit at the feet of Jesus and love him if we'd be honest. But that is the oil that keeps the flame burning. It's the oil of love for him. And that is something that no one can do for you. So the foolish virgins, were trying to get the wise ones to, to supply them with some oil. No one else can supply that for you. Your friends can't, your family can't. I cannot. And therefore there erupts This invitation from this age it says, come. Come and grab this living water without price. That's why Jesus in Luke 14 really gives us a glimpse of his priorities in these days. When he says, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, bring in the poor, the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said... Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So his priority in this age is that his kingdom would be filled with a people. And so what looks like a delay is really the Lord's heart for all to come to repentance. This has been the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.